today's guest is Sean Martin, lead editorial for pjtour.com. <laughs> I think it's more specifically lead, comma, editorial. And if anybody's listened to another podcast, The Fried Egg, they talk about it for five minutes. We won't do that, but we just had to point out the comma. Yeah, so lead editorial for pjtour.com. It's a silent comma. Yeah, <laughs> a silent comma. He's a graduate of Cal Poly, class of what year? Uh, 2004. Uh, he's been a close friend of CGF for years, and we're looking forward to today's conversation. Sean, welcome to Golf Life Faith. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So, and I want to point out that Sean is actually our first not pro golfer to join the podcast. I was wondering who canceled. <laughs> we won't get into that, but thank you for joining us. Sure, happy yeah, we, we don't reveal those details. Happy to fill in. So, but as my wife said, you know, Sean's going to be on. <laughs> I was but, surprised you're only doing 12 episodes this year and you had to scrape the bottom of the barrel, but here we are. Yeah, we ran out quick. Um, Sean, you are well known for your statistical analysis, rel- especially in the world of golf. Well known. Well known. Something like 5,000 Twitter followers. I don't want to, um, I'll let you share numbers. I don't it's closer to 30. <laughs> A oh, thirty-four. Oh, we're over. We're over Maybe. thirty. I don't want to get into this. It doesn't matter. Matters don't. Numbers don't matter. Blue check mark. Give us some of I your. I uh, actually lost my blue check mark. Oh, <laughs> sore subject, Toby. No, Should have wow. Turns out if you actually try to modify your handle, they take the check mark away. So, man. Well, no I blue don't, check mark. I don't mark. let labels like that affect my my confidence or my identity. Oh, that's so good. Identity. We can go into that. Good transition. <laughs> Before we go there, give us some um, stats in the world of golf that um, don't stand out to the normal golf uh, viewer, sure, uh, but that are interesting to understanding what's going on in the world today. Um, I don't have any current ones. Uh, I think some of my favorite go-tos are that Tiger, it's not necessarily a stat, but Tiger was the reigning U.S. Amateur champion when he won the Masters by 12. So if he hadn't turned pro, he would have been in the field as the U.S. Am champ. Um, instead, he, he won by, by 12 shots. I always like that one. Uh, one recently more relevant was that uh, Scotty Scheffler reached number one in 92 starts as a pro, uh, which was the third fewest uh, behind Jordan Spieth, who did in 77, and then Tiger, who needed 21 starts. Um, and then in that 97 Masters, Tiger averaged, I think, 323 yards off the tee, and no one ever since has averaged more at, at, for driving distance at Augusta National. So talking steel shaft. 45, 44-inch driver, uh, that old, I think, 975. Or no, sorry, the, co- the Cobra head uh, and, oh, and a ball. That was the Cobra head. Yeah, and a tour, yeah. maybe a tour professional, which I think half 89% of the kids listening to this have no idea what a Bolada is. Um, part of that is course changes. So if one of the measured holes was 15, and back then it, the tee was so far up, you could hit it down the hill, and he would just, I mean, he'd hit, like, wedge into 15. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure you hit a 60 degree into it one day. Yeah, at some point. And so, but still, he three twenty three. Uh, and no one's matched that since with all the technology we have. Wait, Bryson hasn't done that. Uh, he may <laughs> have since this. I tweeted that like uh, two years ago. No, Part I of it's. I don't think he has. It was rock hard that year, and Tiger played like this bullet fade, and then ever since then they've had like the Tiger proofing, and also they started mowing in, uh, mowing towards the tee, which keeps the roll down. But he was just rocketing these things down the hill on fifteen. Man. Yeah, so much of that coverage, you just see that ball land, yeah. and then it just keeps going. Um, I think he was like 25 yards ahead of John Daly, though, that year uh, wow. at Augusta. So still, I mean, it was still 25. unprecedented. Yeah, which John Daly was always leading or second on tour and driving distance. Do you remember watching the 97 Masters? 
Uh, I remember watching 96 and getting ready for a Little League game. And, like, I remember Norman falling down uh, after he missed the Mm -hmm. chip on 15. Uh, Yeah, I remember that, too. I was, was, what was I? I was one years old. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone listening to this has no idea what's – they know Greg Norman for something else. Um, But, you know, not fully comprehending what was going on. But I also then remember really wanting those Tezoid irons from Mizuno. Mm-hmm. Do you remember those? The f- oh, like, yeah. They were like the first forged cavity back. Yeah. They were sweet, so. Yeah, I remember seeing those in pro shops. Yeah. They were nice. But uh, those are, I think those are my go-tos. I can't think of anything that really pops out of the head now. I don't really have any amazing Hideki stats. <laughs> <laughs> it, it took us less than five minutes to talk about Hideki. Well, it's wild. I was thinking about it because, you know, most people listening to this probably are 18 to 22, let's say, and I've been at the tour for nine years, so most people don't know that I was at Golf Week and covering a lot of college golf, which I think we'll probably get into. That's how I met y'all. Or, But most people think of me only as being at the PJ Tour, if they know who I am at all, which I think most of these people probably don't. Yeah, yeah well, t- share okay your story that. about how you got from getting interested in riding um, sports. Sure. Specifically golf, and then now riding for PGA Tour. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, I we uh, moved to California when I was 11. My family doesn't play golf. The big thing was, though, my dad was in publishing, uh, doing sales. So we literally could get any book we wanted. My parents always read. They read to me. It was a big emphasis. So we just always read a ton. Uh, read the paper in the morning. Um, newspapers are kind of this old school thing you used to get. But back in, <laughs> back in my day. Um, and so always loved like words, right? And then moved to California when I was uh, 11. No one played golf in my family, but just the people I met, the kids I met um, played golf. And so my mom kind of asked like, hey, what do the kids here do in summer? And uh, it was near Westlake Golf Course is where we moved, which is where George Genkis teaches. People probably see on Instagram with Matthew Wolf and all his other students. And it's like a 5,000-yard golf course. Uh, but the cool thing was a, a really affordable junior program that was like 150 bucks for um, – summer it got you like 10 group lessons weekly nine hole tournament um and i mean remember like chris zambri who's now the, or was the longtime usc coach was giving group lessons while his weeks off from what was then the buy.com tour is now the corn ferry tour and so just got into that fell in love with it uh it was such a cool place too i mean i the day i turned 16 uh started working there doing the cart barn thing and like chris como was there giving lessons he's about five years older than i am gankus was there kind of playing kind of giving some lessons uh, they we had a couple like former tour players giving lessons, uh, and it was just it was a night lit driving range, and like people would just gather there uh, and hit balls at night because the balls were were pretty good, and um, so that fell in love with it there. I knew I wanted to do writing, knew I was never going to play professional golf. Uh, played a little bit in college, which is where I first met Brad Payne. I think we'll tell that story too later, but um, I just yeah I knew I loved writing, loved reading, uh, loved golf. And I figured that was the good combo. And I remember we had Golf Week magazine in the pro shop, and I'd always look through, like, the scoreboard of, like, because back then all the scores were in the magazine. And you look at, like, the college scores and see what different teams are shooting, uh, what it takes to play for certain teams, that kind of thing. And so eating that up, I knew I wanted to um, to work there. So even in college, I was doing journalism major, did the school paper, worked at the local paper. But, like, I was bombarding the Golf Week people uh, with emails, like, hey, is can I freelance for something or can I intern over the summer or – you know, things like that. And eventually, you know, I did, had a couple jobs out of college, but then something came open and they reached out to me because I'd been bugging them for so long. And, and frankly, they made fun of me a bunch for it, but they said, frankly, the thing that kind of put me over the edge uh, to getting the job was the fact that I, like, they knew, like, I really wanted to work there and I was really passionate about it. And so I always tell people that that's one of the first things, like, you just, you identify a place and just really, like, you know, hammer it home and, and try to get in the door and, and try to make, like, your passion known. 
So while you were playing college golf, you still had that vision of wanting to write. Uh, yeah. For golf week at that time was your yeah. your target. Uh, share those early years of golf week, um, or some stories from you playing college golf. What there, was that like? There are no stories from me playing college golf. Uh, the only good one <laughs> is when I first met Brad Payne, who I don't know what his exact title is. President. President. The president, uh, not only a member, also the president of. College Golf Fellowship, but we were on the first tee at a tournament in La Parisma in Lompoc, where Brad's from. Uh, and I knew what College Golf Fellowship was because back then the retreats, everyone kind of knew they're like, "Oh, this place you can go to a tour player's house and and all this." Um, but I had no room in my life for any sort of faith, living a pretty standard college life. Um, and so Brad was on the first tee with Mike Watney, the Fresno State coach, Nick's uncle, uh, and just you know shaking hands. And I remember clear as day, thinking in my head like. I know what you're selling and I want no part of it. <laughs> so, uh, and we, we love that story. I mean, I think it's something that the Lord has kept that memory in my head to show just like the miracle of salvation and transformation that like anyone, I mean, I was so far from any interest to then 10 years later, which we'll talk about more later that it's, it's frankly, it's a miracle. Um, so that was my first interaction with Brad Payne. Now we're dear friends and uh, he gets a good laugh out of that story. We like to tell that one. But yeah, working at Golf Week was amazing for what I did for my career. I was started in 06, so I was covering junior golf, um, and then eventually some college golf, and so it was great. I mean, that's at that level, you really get to know people on a personal level because, A, they're super excited to talk to the media because they probably just did something good. Like, you're really only talking to the best players in the country, um, trying to identify, like, who's up and coming. And then also, there's not a ton of media covering them, so they're, you know, they're not being hassled by media. It's all positive media coverage, and, and you get to know them and their families. And, you know, I remember... Uh, meeting Ricky Fowler at the first tournament I covered um, and then, you know, got to know him fairly well. And it's still obviously very relevant knowing him. Uh, I remember we went to Dallas to do a cover shoot with Jordan Spieth the day after uh, he played the Nelson that second year. Uh, he had started the day like three shots off the lead. He played it on Sunday with Keegan Bradley, who went on to win, which shows how in contention he was. Um, and then that night, it was his high school graduation. I think that night they had one of those kind of casino nights where they hand out chips and, you know, um, and the next morning, we did this photo shoot with him, an instructional shoot with him and Cameron McCormick. And, like, in between shots, he's, like, sleeping on a bench because he's just got done playing a tour event and contending in a tour event. He had high school graduation. Um, I remember, like, doing early, like, instructional shoots with Justin Thomas and his dad. Um, those are, the, I think, going to Cal with that team that Max Homa and Brandon Hagee and Michael Kim were on and, and watching them, like, practice in 30-degree weather. I remember the scene of, like, it, was, it probably should have been a frost delay. Um, <laughs> Max and I think Michael came using their drivers to hammer tees into the frozen <laughs> ground because it was so <laughs> cold. And then hitting a wedge in the green, I mean, it literally bouncing like 10 feet in the air. It was, it was crazy. So just, and, uh, you know, it's been great now just getting to know some of those guys before they were big, if you will. Um, but now I've been at the tour so long that, like, guys like Scotty Scheffler, I, you know, I've never got to know them in college. So it's a little bit different. And I feel kind of old that now there's guys coming up that I, I didn't meet. Man, that's, that's kind of cool, though that you've been able to, that you start off at golf week and I don't know, I mean, you can uh, talk about this, but I mean, did you have intentions of like, I want to write for the PGA tour or like next steps or were you, did you kind of think golf week and then things just happened? Yeah. I think not specifically PGA tour.com. I mean, I wanted to cover the tour. And when I finished at golf week, you know, you kind of work your way up through the ranks. And so I'd, by 2013, I'd been there seven years. I was doing some tour events. My first major was the 2008 U S open, which I had to leave on the, like the 13th hole of the playoff, which is, you know, whoops. Um, wow. <laughs> I had a flight to Alaska Ouch. 
to have a vacation with a buddy and I wasn't missing it. We had a bunch of people there. They took handle of it. But yeah, so that's my first major I covered. And then, yeah, I was covering the tour some as well as some college golf and, you know, just knowing there were changes in the journalism industry a lot too. Uh, you know, you know, the PJ tour is always going to cover golf. They're always going to, you know, put a lot of money and investment into covering golf because they want their fans to know about the players. So it was kind of a safe place to be, but also, and then frankly too, just a good place career wise. And, um, you're from Jacksonville, Toby. And, you know, I had some friends lived in Jacksonville. They love Jacksonville. Um, and it is a great place to live. So that was part of it too. But yeah, I think all those things kind of factored in. Um, and you always, when you're writing golf, you want to cover the tour. I mean, I love, I loved covering college golf. I would do it again in a heartbeat if it paid as well, um, <laughs> as covering the tour, but, uh, covering the tour is what you want to do and, and being at the big events. And that was an awesome time period to be covering college golf you as were well. There? Yeah. I was, I mean, on top of me being there, yeah. uh, you have, like you mentioned, golf week was how you got scores for amateur events, yeah. uh, junior golf events. It, there was no golf genius. There wasn't any blue golf. There wasn't this live scoring where you could see everything going on that you have now. Um, I would love to hear kind of just who were some of the journalists that influenced you during that time to go, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in college golf that we want everyone to know about. Yeah, and I think the big one was Ron Balicki. I read him. He was like the he was like the first guy to full-time cover college golf and did it for golf week. And so I read his stuff all the time. Um, cause I was reading golf week to get a sense of, of college golf. And so he was kind of a big one. I know a reason I went to golf week was because he was there and kind of wanted to do what he did. Um, a couple of my early bosses, Jeff Babineau, actually the woman that hired me, Beth Ann Baldry, now Beth Ann Nichols. She's still a golf week covering the LPGA. I mean, she hired me. She was a huge influence on my life, um, in a lot of ways, spiritually as well. Um, but also just showing me how to do it. Um, I think those are some of the people. I think Tim Rosefort passed away last year, unfortunately, way too early, just such a, a kind, gentle soul and did a good job of, of kind of getting the stories that were interesting to people, but also while kind of caring for people. Like, mm. I think a lot of people open up to him because he could tell they actually cared about them and telling their story. Sometimes, you know, journalism can be very, like, transactional of, like, I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to act interested, but just because I want a story, you know, for my own, my own self. And so he was actually like genuinely interested in people, I think. And that's a big reason why he, uh, got as far as he did. And, and he just did a great job too with young writers. I mean, like myself of just, you know, always gave us the time of day. Um, you know, always was willing to mentor and to help. And, you know, I actually, I missed it at the masters, uh, this last week. Cause I called Scotty Scheffler's high school basketball coach to try to just get an angle to the story that other people didn't have. And, me and, and Tim used to joke, like, because we both loved kind of calling the really random person. It's like, oh, did you get, like, Spieth's, you know, high school PE teacher on the phone? Because I just talked to him. He had some good stuff. <laughs> and just, so it was just sad not being able to kind of make those jokes with him. Yeah. That's kind of cool to hear uh, about all the people that shaped you um, in your work, in your writing. But then you mentioned that there were some that shaped you spiritually. So we'd kind of love to just hear um, your faith walk, because you mentioned earlier then when you met Brad, you were like, I don't want any part of this. And then, well, now here we are sitting quite a few years later, and it's your it's your life. Um, so how do you go from not wanting to be a part of it to being all in? Like, what was what's that story for you? Sure. So Beth Ann's a, a believer, um, and she was great. You know, we developed a friendship. You work in journalism and sports, especially. You work a lot of random hours, a lot of, like, late nights in the office, weekends, that kind of thing. And um, she was never pushy, just really faithful to invite to church. Like, Hey, you know, we're it's Easter or Christmas or, you know, usually just around holidays. Wasn't like every week, like, all right, come on, let's go. And, um, I think I went, I know I went 
a Christmas, and then I came back a couple times. She went to First Baptist Orlando, which is literally, it's where Lee Jansen goes, and it's literally in a, what used to be the Orlando Magic's training arena, so it's a very large church, um, and I, you know, I'd never heard the gospel. I was, up, I was from California, and it was just kind of the sense of Christianity of like, all right, they, they're the good people. They're going to get rewarded for being good. They think everyone else is bad. You know, that's Christianity. That's my understanding of it. And I remember it was a uh, it was a sermon on James and um, and talking about taming the tongue, and so I was expecting you know I, especially Baptist church I'm thinking fire and brimstone, um, you know condemning these people or those people etc. And the whole sermon was on the pastor talking about taming his tongue and the need for the Christian to tame their tongue. And I was like, it's, I'm like that's just not what I was expecting at all. Um, and so that kind of really that stuck with me a little bit. And then actually I went to China to cover the first Asia-Pacific amateur. Um, and a, a high school friend of mine was over there. And actually one of Beth Ann's friends were over there. Uh, and they both had become Christians. Well, I think she, uh, Beth Ann's friend had, was a Christian, I think, most of her life. And then my friend had actually converted sometime after we had lost touch after high school. So we had good conversations there. And I came back and kind of got connected to a smaller church. Because I remember, like, <laughs> this desire for, like, I was like, I would, I'll do an altar call and learn more, but I was like, man, that's so many people to walk in front of. And so Bethany's like, hey, go to the smaller church here. Um, it might be a better fit for you. Um, it's Presbyterian, which that's where how I got to where I am today and why Toby and I are just good friends. Um, that's a joke. It doesn't matter. But um, so I got there, and actually I got connected with the pastor. I finally I filled out kind of a welcome card, and, and he called me, and, and we talked a little bit, and uh, he was a huge golf fan, and I worked such random hours that we would just do lunch constantly. Like, he would pour a ton into me. His name's Ted Sin. He's, he's in Alabama now. Um, but, you know, we would just we would meet a couple times a month. We'd play golf because he loved to play golf, um, which actually I just at Augusta randomly ran into a guy that used to work at that church, and he's like, man, I was so jealous. Like, he'd just go play golf with you for work, and, like, <laughs> I'm sitting here grinding. Um how do you think we feel? Right. <laughs> um, but, and then, you know, so really had like the gospel laid out for me of um, that it's not that the Christians are good, everyone else is bad. And so, you know, the holier than that, we're the good people. It's the, we're all bad, for lack of a better term. We all are in need of a savior. And so it's actually, you know, a God who loves us and pursues us and saves us through Christ. And so it's, it's admitting, I always, you know, I knew that I wasn't like a, I knew it wasn't perfect, right? You know, yeah. you're trying to be good enough, but um, I think we all know we're imperfect. It's just, it, frankly, it's whether or not you can come to the place where you admit that you need a savior. Mm. But then also, then too, knowing that God is a God who saves, you know, it's not a, he's a God that you can come to for salvation, not a God that if you come to him, you don't come to him for condemnation. Mm. Um, and so hearing that, I was just, I was blown away. And I remember asking Ted even, I'm like, well, why don't, I, why don't we hear this message everywhere? Why isn't everyone telling this constantly? And, and now I feel like I'm probably one of those people that's guilty of not sharing that message enough with people because it is, I mean, it's an amazing message, right? It's amazing grace. Um, mm. And so those were really, I kind of think, the formative kind of spiritual aspects. Um, and then from a CGF standpoint, I was sitting on the range at the what, the Bob Hope tournament, the one in the desert, and uh, Brad comes up to me, and I thought it was actually this agent who, man of very few words, had known for a few years, never speaks to me, and he just starts talking about three minutes in, it, like, clicks. I'm like, oh, this is that guy from CGF. But I had become a Christian since then, so I kind of told him, like, oh, you know, Brad, I've actually met you before. And 
I'm a Christian now, and so he connected me with Matt Van Zandt, who used to be on staff of the All for a long time because I'd covered the 09 NCAA championship, which A&M won, and Matt was on that team, and Brad's like, oh, you should connect with Matt. And so then we just actually kind of became good friends, like, from a distance. It was honestly, like, a long distance. Like, I hit him up on Facebook. I'm like, hey, you probably don't remember me. I covered your NCAA championship win. Um, I've become a Christian. Brad said reach out, and he we just became really good friends, frankly, even before we ever really, like, hung out. Um, and I went to some retreats, even though I was the old guy. I was, like, 30 at the time, which is <laughs> pretty old. Um, and then eventually, I, you know, got I actually got baptized in a hot tub at the no longer, I don't think they have any more, but the Palm Springs Retreat, uh, an infinity hot tub overlooking, like, the valley of, the Coachella Valley, I guess. Yeah, that's a unique setting for a baptism. It's and one of those, like, CGF retreat stories, I feel like they kind of <laughs> go down through the years of, you know, all the, the random places someone might get baptized or, you know, the random things you're doing with, you know, people. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd love to hear you speak a little bit more into what did it mean um, that you were saved? that you did come to that place of realizing you needed a savior. So talk through that a little bit more and then kind of the conversation with maybe Matt Van Zandt or Brad Payne of going, all right, it's it's time I'm going to go get baptized at this retreat. Right. Um, baptized even in a hot tub. Right. Um, actually, it's, I'm glad you actually asked me to go further next. I remember I gave my testimony at, at that CGF retreat where I was baptized. And, and I remember, cause I think a lot of people listening to this don't want to be golf writers. They want to be golfers professional golfers and so I, I to equate it that job at golf week was like me earning my tour card at like 24 25 like that's what I'd always wanted to do I'd been working towards that for years so that's getting on the PGA tour for me um but I was I was traveling a lot uh for work and I was just I mean frankly it was you know lonely um from I was just on the road constantly had like this double life between being on the road and being at home so I think golfers can relate to that as well and you know, I'd been doing it for a couple of years. I'd been starting to cover tour events. So, I mean, like fully had like achieved my dream. Right. And another one of these thoughts that I remember clear as day is like, man, it's just, all right, so I'm going to do this for another 40 years and write about golf tournaments and then die. Like that just seems like a bad, a bad deal. Like I've gotten everything that I could ever want as far as professional achievement. And I'm like, but it doesn't fulfill me. There's still a lot in my life that, you know, I'm, I'm not happy about, or, you know, it's not fulfilling that I thought would be fulfilling, but it's actually been disappointing because um, it doesn't live up to the expectations. And then, too, just the thought of, like, all right, yeah, I'm going to work for 65, 70 years and then die. Like, that's that's life. Like, that's what life is. Like, that that just, when you start to really think about that, like that's a really a bum deal, a pretty raw deal. You know, there's so yeah. much hardship in life that we go through. And you're like, and then to just, I guess, go in the dirt kind of didn't fulfill either. And so it's actually when I really talked to, talked to Beth Ann some and um, – just, I mean, people have different thoughts on it, but at the time, you know, prayed for Jesus to enter my heart. And it's like, that's when I was saved of like, all right, like, I know there's something more, like, I need something more, like, I need salvation. Well, most importantly, like, it's not about, you know, even my fulfillment per se. I think that's a result of it, mm. but um, I need, I need salvation. Like, if there is a God, then he would be holy. I'm definitely not. So how do you bridge that gap? And that's through Christ. Yeah, and I think you kind of hinted at it earlier that it's not about behavior modification, and it's like they are good, we're bad. It's realizing you're you're dead, mm-hmm. you're dead in your sin, mm-hmm. and you're made alive in Christ. So it's not just good to bad or bad to good; it's dead to life. Um, and that's I mean that's the picture of your story, and that's what we want you guys that are listening to hear. Is you're not just you don't 
surrender your life to Christ so that you become good. Mm-hmm. You surrender your life to Christ because you are dead and you need a Savior, like you said. And then it's the freedom to then admit you're wrong, admit your faults, admit mm-hmm. your um, that you don't measure up, admit you're not perfect even. You know, I mean, I think so much of, yeah, like I'm fairly active on Twitter for my job, right? And you so much you can measure it by the amount of engagement, amount of likes and retweets. You know, golf, you can measure it by your score. And so much of the world and so many of the people around you, frankly, are around you because of what you can offer, right? What, what you're successful in. Like, oh, and we, like, I'm friends with you because you're a good golfer. I'm friends with you because you're a golf writer. You know, I'm friends with you because you can get me on this course, all this stuff. It's all about what you can offer, um, which then Christianity is the exact opposite. And, and living, like, mm-hmm surrounding yourself with people who are interested in what you can offer, it's tiring. Cause I think deep down, again, we all know that we're not perfect and we all are afraid there's this side of us that if people only knew this side of me, they wouldn't love me. Right. They only love me for this strength that I have. And mm. the gospel has the freedom to admit my weakness and that's freeing. That's freedom right there. Yeah. That's so good. And that relationship with the Lord, as you think about that with, how you steward your gift of you've been gifted to be a great writer to tell great stories and you've been placed in an awesome job with pjtour.com and how do you think about stewarding that gift of a golf writer within working for the pga tour yeah and that's a, i mean honestly that's one i think a lot about and um it's one i think too that i think a lot of golfers relate to i think brad talks a lot about on tour because you're like all right I'm a Christian. I've been saved. I'm tasked to live my life to the glory of God. How do I do that when I'm doing something that seems as inconsequential as golf or writing about golf? Um, and I think Scotty Scheffler did a great job of it at the Masters talking about that. And I think it's kind of similar to um, Eric Little from Chariots of Fire. He says, when I run, I can feel God's pleasure. Um, it's I think there's something to be said for knowing your calling. You know, some of us are called to be missionaries in India and do this amazing work and this amazing sacrificial work. Um, some of us are called to be golf writers or professional golfers, um, and it's a, it looks much different, and it's easy to feel like, gosh, I, I lead this very charmed or blessed life and have all this money, and that is true, but then... I think there's even greater importance on discerning your calling. Like, what are you going to do with that? Um, and I actually think about it. Ted told me the story, Ted Sin from earlier. Uh, he had this dream of planting like a church in inner city Orlando. And so he went to church planter assessment. And went, you go through this whole thing. They turn your whole life over, examine every part of you, interview you about your passions. And, and they come back and like, yeah, like you're not the guy who's going to plant the inner city church. Like, you're going to be the guy who plants the church that plants the church in the inner city. Um, And part of that was because I think, you know, in the church I went to, it was more of maybe a a suburban white-collar type of church. And then some of that is with the financial blessings of that, they can fund the church in the inner city. And I think even, too, the random placement of people um, in our lives. Like, you know, Beth Ann, um, if I don't meet, you know, Beth Ann, then I'm probably, I may not become a Christian. Um, And that was from her uh, you know, just being at, at golf week and, and inviting me to church. So I think it's it's a lot about the people that you're around and how to impact those people. Because at the end of the day, you know, I think we have a tendency to glorify the person in a third world country doing this amazing, difficult work. 
But if you're working on the PGA Tour or in some office job, like those people next to you, they need the Lord as much as mm. the people in Africa. And so, um, but then also, too, the hard thing is also, I think, making sure to be constantly trying to discern, like, so that if there is a time where I'm called to stop doing this, which would be really hard. I love my job. It's my passion. It provides for my family. Mm. Um, it would be really, it would be difficult to not do that job anymore, but also need to be on guard of like, hey, but if I feel at some time that I'm called to give it up, being willing to give it up. Um, but I mean, the Lord needs people in every sphere of life. Yeah. Um, but I do think then also of whom much is given, like much is expected. Yeah, I think a lot of people listening to this, uh, whether it is a college golfer, uh, a coach, or someone that's trying to figure out what's next in life, um, which direction they want to go uh, from a job perspective, or uh, you use the word calling, it, it's easy to get caught up in what is God's will for my life? What is next? And a lot of people don't have that same clarity that you seem to have in, in college of, I want to go right, um, specifically for Golf Week. And I think it's, I want to encourage uh, people with the fact that look to where God has you, first and foremost. Look what he's blessing you in. Uh, like for you, Sean, gifting you um, with writing. Um, and Jace, we're going to hear more of your story over these years getting on this podcast of being gifted athletically uh, with football and golf. It's just so cool to what, see. What a stud, by the way. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> Or keep going. What do you want? Actually, I did. Okay. Real quick, going back to just influencing people in spheres. Uh, one of the early conversations, I think actually that first conversation in the range with Brad was like, well, you know, are there some golfers that you've noticed are different um, just because they're Christians? And I said, Paul Stankowski. And Brad's like, oh, well, he's actually my best friend since, you know, high school yeah. or whatever. Um, and then actually, Jace, your family, like your brother, Blaine, and your parents, like when I was reporting on, um, you know, Blaine playing college golf and playing on the Walker Cup, I mean, those are people who we never had, like, an evangelistic or faith-based conversation. Um, I knew they were believers, uh, and it was coming across them probably in a time where I maybe wasn't quite a believer or early. Mm-hmm. And, but I saw them, and I was like, you know, those are people I want to emulate. Those are people who their faith has definitely impacted their lives. Um, and so, again, you know, being in a, a sphere of, like, professional golf, we may wonder, well, what am I doing on the PGA Tour or in college golf? as a believer when there's so much work to be done and there's also like yeah you might have fancier dinners and go to fancier places as a college golfer or a college golf coach or on the pga tour or wherever but you're still needed there Mm. and but and actually it's harder too because it's easier to get distracted in those spheres right it's easier to get distracted by i'm in this you know easier to get distracted by i need to play well to make the starting lineup i need to play well to keep my card i need you know i'm gonna go to dinner with so and so i'm gonna have you know dinner with so and so and and so it's in some ways, I think it's actually more dangerous because it is easier to get distracted by all the nice things. And then, frankly, if the Lord does call you to uh, something else, it's harder to give those things up, if we're honest, I think. Yeah. Or it would yeah. be for mm-hmm. me, at least. So. I mean, Scotty has won $9 million in the last four months. Right. Like, that puts it into perspective. I'm not even going to say what I've made in the last four months <laughs> compared to $9 million. You know? But then you hear Scotty talk about his identity, his golf score, his wife, his friends, uh, CGF. And you, he puts it into perspective, and it's everything you're talking about. Yeah, and we hear a lot. We've mentioned Brad Payne's name a lot. Uh, we've mentioned Stephen Bond, the two chaplains on the PGA Tour, um, and just even the influence we've had 
in our lives from other CGF staff people. Something Brad Payne always says is you're either you can't impress the guy in front of you with who you are over impressing that guy with who your savior is. Mm-hmm. You're going to pump up one or the other. And I think what I'm hearing is like when you see these guys that are different, that act different, um, seem to have a piece about them, ultimately we're not really being impressed with them. We're being impressed with their savior that gives them that peace. And it, you have a front row seat watching the guys that are on the PGA Tour going through those things, um, putting their identity in Christ, which is a daily struggle as well, uh, whether they're winning or struggling to make a cut. Uh, what are some things you've just observed um, in that area as you, as you watch guys navigate success and failure? Yeah, and I think Brad said something similar I've heard him say about platform. Because I think everyone talks about platform, and it's easy to kind of get caught up in what's your platform, how big is your platform, and I'm probably misquoting him, but basically he's like, all right, is your platform something you stand on so people can see you better, or are you showing people kind of what you're standing on, what your foundation is in, in being Christ? Um, I think Scotty did, I mean, Scotty did a really good job uh, in that interview um, of vocalizing what's most important to him. Um, even the change from, like, Wednesday, uh, his interview before the tournament, I felt like, you know, it was kind of goofing around and kind of some jokes, and, you know, he was joking with reporters, and it was a good interview, but it was not, there wasn't a ton there. He didn't, I didn't leave there feeling like, oh, I know Scotty Scheffler a lot better. Um, and I was sitting in that press conference Sunday, and I was like, man, like, Scotty Scheffler just told everyone exactly who he is, 100%, and did it in a great way that was authentic, and it wasn't awkward or um, confrontational, but, I mean, he just uh, just laid it all out there. And I thought, that, uh, talking to Brad afterwards, um, he said a great thing about, Honesty is strength. So if you're completely 100% honest, and it kind of, I think, comes from Matt Chandler said something similar of, like, if the people around me know everything I've done, I've been 100% vulnerable and honest with them, there's nothing that anyone can levy against me that I can't say, yes, they and they know about it. And you're not high, you know, when you start hiding things, hiding who you are, um, there's a, a, you're vulnerable because someone could uncover whatever, you know. Um, but I think navigating, I, I think even with golf, you know, navigating the tough times uh, is is a great time to glorify the Lord. You show what you're relying on. Um, but I think, you know, Scotty showed that even good times also are a good time. For yeah, you. and right. I think there's a good contrast because a week before that, or I guess two weeks, Ben Martin uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys have, that are listening and you guys have seen the video after he lost. He missed a putt on the last hole, and he hadn't been in contention for a while. He, had, he battled injuries. And then four minutes, like he has a four-minute video. And like I was tearing up watching it because he's a buddy of mine, and I know his heart. I know his competitive spirit. And there was that, and it's in the midst of Scotty, you know, now winning four times out of six events and seeing how Ben handled that. Um, was impactful to me and I know impactful to a lot of people. Um, but it's that picture of like, even in the good times, Scotty, of course, deflected off of himself. And in that bad time, Ben did, had the same answer with identity. He's saying like, if I won today, it's no different than if I lost, which he did. And I mean, it's impactful. And the, a great example too of like, it's okay to want to win. Um, and so it's okay to desire things. I think, I know I struggled a lot with it of, well, 
I work too hard at my job, is it going to become an idol? And is it taking too much time from, let's say, my family or, you know, the people around me? And um, Kyle Porter kind of asked Scotty, how do you balance that? You know, your identity is not based on a score. You don't need to shoot good scores to be loved or feel loved. But also, you know, to get where you've gotten to number one in the world in the Masters Champion, you need to work extremely hard. How do you balance those? Because it's easy to think, well, okay, you know, God loves me no matter what I do. So, you know, working hard at golf, that seems kind of inconsequential or it doesn't matter. Um, but Scotty said, you know, he's given me a gift, and so I'm going to work extremely hard at it. Um, and so it's, admit, it's, it's acknowledging that the gift is from the Lord, and so it's doing your best to steward it, which means working hard at it, um, but leaving the results, you know, kind of like what Meredith told Scotty of like, hey, it's not whether you win or lose today is not up to you. Who are you to say? whether you're ready to win or lose. Um, God is in control. He will decide that. Um, so Scotty, it's like, all right, I'll, God's giving me this gift. I'm going to make the most of it, work really hard at it. I'm going to leave the results to him. Um, but I just thought that was a great example of kind of stewardship because I think it's easy. Sometimes it's easy, I know for myself even, to think like, gosh, this golf writing or whatever is so inconsequential. It doesn't matter. So um, put in my 40 hours and then go home or my money for my family then go home. Um, and obviously you can overwork at any of those things, but so you need to be cognizant of, of it, but there's still a working hard, um, because it's been given to you. And then even there's acknowledging that like the de- desires do come from the Lord. And so the desire to do well, desire to win, that's natural. That's, and that's okay. It's just how you respond maybe when it works out or when it doesn't. Yeah. And I love seeing the competitiveness play out, um, from, from guys like Webb Simpson, uh, that understand that stewardship aspect. Uh, guys like Scotty, Sam Burns, uh, Stallings. So many guys out there that have that gratitude for what God's given them. They understand that they're called to steward that well. Yeah, when they tee it up, they want to go low and they want to beat you. Yeah. So it's fun to watch. But Toby, give us a, give us a rapid-fire question. We do this with each guest. Okay. Um, and he'll give one, I'll give one, and... We'll just go for a few minutes. Is this, I mean, is this where I tell the story of where I first met you? Oh, do that well, now. Do that now. Though. Go for it. Yeah, do that now. All right. So, like I said, Toby, I had the benefit. Toby was in college golf when I was covering it. Uh, so, the Iowa's tournament now, I think the Tavistock Collegiate, uh, one of the best tournaments of the year. And actually, I think even back then, even stronger. This is before the 500 rule, which most kids, again, back in my day, there was no 500 rule. Uh, and so, I mean, it was probably the top 20 teams in the country, top 15. And so I'm covering it for Golf Week. Toby, you're the 36-hole leader, I think, right? Yes. And 36-hole leader. And that Florida team, <laughs> so you were the number three guy on that Florida team, but it was a very good Florida team. Yep. Uh, Matt Every was, went on to win Player of the Year. So it was, was, it, was it was 06 that we played. Okay. And would have been Horschel. myself, Horschel, Tyson Alexander, and I believe that lineup was Tim McKinney and Will Strickler. Yeah, and Strickler wanted to play on the PJ Tour. Yep. Uh, Tyson Alexander won on the Corn Ferry Tour. I mean, he's won back Playing right good now this, this week. week. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so it was a very good lineup. But I'm like, yeah, I remember asking you, I'm like, God, you know, I don't know why I remember this, but I'm like, you know, you're the number three player on your team, and now you're leading one of the best fields in the country. Just kind of, and, and now having done this enough, it t- you know, yeah, he was number three on his team, but you were probably one of the top 50 players in the country, so it wasn't unheard of. But you were very confident. Um, you know, I just remember you saying, oh, yeah, my fiancé is going to drive up to watch me play uh, tomorrow. And I'm like, fiancé? Like, what? <laughs> it's not a, this is 2009, so I'm pre-conversion. I'm like, that, that's 
not a smart, you're not a smart guy. You know, you're 20 years old. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, which is funny now your wife, I think likes that story. Cause I mean, we've become yeah. very close friends in Jacksonville, um, with my family and, uh, I'm, so I'm very glad that you did marry her. Uh, I'm glad it worked out. But at the time, <laughs> just thinking what a fool this guy is. And then I think you did shoot 83, Three, 83. Yep. So yeah, do I, we know who won. I, I think Jonathan Vegas. Okay, which also we should pump Toby up. He did beat Horschel to win the Gator Invitational. Yes, he did. So let's let's also. We'll, Thanks for going that direction. Yeah. Let's also. <laughs> I don't want to leave. I don't want. Let's do that. Toby. Yeah. Toby has very hot and cold days at Isleworth. Yeah, because he's he can share a great story. We don't we don't have to do it. Now. Yeah, there's. He shot a very similar score playing the Pro Scratch with Lee Jansen. Yes, um, but you also challenged Tigers Fifty Nine. A lot of scar tissue out at Isleworth. Um, <laughs> I think I shot around 81 with Lee Jansen in the pro scratch. Um, I was very grateful for team skins. Uh, the few pars that I did make, Lee made birdie on those holes. So, Which, speaking of very competitive, Lee Jansen definitely ranks up there. Oh, yes. So I, I can only imagine his reaction to that day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was very glad I played better <laughs> the next day. Um, but but that, that Isleworth tournament, I was hitting it pretty straight in the practice round with no swing thoughts. Hit a baby draw in the first round, a little bit more of a draw in the second round, and could not keep it on the course in the third round. Uh, so I remember that going poorly. Oh, man. But That's I so do good. remember sitting down with you um, and talking through leading after 36 holes. And yeah. How cool is that, though, to see it come full circle? You sat down with him then, and now we're sitting down with Sean now. Exactly. Off live faith. In, in my closet, which is very similar to the Isleworth Clubhouse. Yeah, we'll post a picture along with this podcast just so you can we see it. And maybe it'll, sure. be, it'll be the cover art. <laughs> we have a basketball hoop in our closet just like they have in the clubhouse. All right, we'll go with uh, a random question. You've got two golf balls and a baseball. Uh, two baseballs. Two. There's two? one behind uh, the computer. Gotcha. All right. What are, tell us about those. Uh, so the two golf balls are from Bob Tway. Uh, my aunt and uncle live in Edmond, Oklahoma, which is the home of now Oak Tree National. At the time, it was just Oak Tree. Uh, and I used to go visit them every summer, and we'd go watch the Oklahoma State Open because back then it was like Bob Tway would play, Gil Morgan, who won a few times on tour, killed on the senior tour, Doug Toole, who played on tour, Scott Verplank, um, one of the best amateur players of all time, uh, and won a few times on tour, played on some Ryder Cup teams, President Cup teams. Uh, so they, I want to say it was like a silent auction for their church or something, um, which now it's funny. One of my good friends, Caddies for Kevin Tway. And then the baseball is, uh, unfortunately, was signed in ballpoint pen, um, so it's faded uh, quite a bit. But that was a autograph I got at spring training from uh, Tommy Lasorda, big Dodgers fan myself. So that was um, that. was that. But now it's basically just a baseball. Cause yeah, I can, you can faintly see the right. signature. So at this point, you could say it was anybody. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Okay, and then uh, a question. Uh, do you have any hot takes for the President's Cup coming up this year that maybe you, you've thought about or maybe some players that may make the team that we're not thinking about? Uh, either side. I think the cool thing is that Scheffler and Burns are pretty much locks to make it, and you know I think you've had both on the podcast, uh, yep. and they're very good friends. They've, they stay together on the road. So I think it would be cool. I know you know we've got analytics now so involved in like team formation, Um I don't know quite how their games would shape up from that standpoint, but I think it'd be just really cool to see them go out together, two super competitive guys having great seasons, um, go play together. Yeah, I think that's one of those where you, no matter what the analytics say, yeah. you just you base the relationship above it. I feel like them as a four-ball team, 
just might go out and torch it. Um, yeah. Scotty's got a good all-around game. He's a good putter. And Sam, especially uh, a good iron player and just really the biggest part. And you don't see as much, I feel like, with the young guys, but just a good putter year in, year out. Yeah. But actually, it's kind of crazy. The team does look right now a lot different than, like, that team that won the Ryder Cup last year, 19-9. You'd think it'd be like, oh, we're going to run out the same 12 guys, best team of all time. Let's go. And it's very different. And a lot can change, but right now it's That's golf. Different. Yeah. How about dream foursome? And you can go dead or alive on on your playing partners. Gosh. Uh, probably Ben Hogan. He passed away in 1997, so I was 14. And I don't know why, but then just reading all the stories. I didn't know who he was at the time. But then reading all the stories and obituaries and, like, who he was, I was, like, kind of I became a big Hogan guy, um, which is funny. It didn't seem like maybe the nicest guy. I don't know how he'd be as a foursome. But probably Hogan. you got to say Tiger, I think, of course. Uh, I would love to see Ben Hogan just hit golf balls. Um, you know, I've got like I've got the tape of the Shell's Wonderful World of Golf with him and Sam Snead. Um, so we'll go Hogan, Tiger, um, and then probably my my dad. You know, I, I think I owe my dad so much. Like I like I said earlier, I'm became a journalist and a writer and a reader like because of him and his job. But mm. he doesn't really play golf, and so I think that's one thing I kind of envy people on is when they get to play. You know, them and their dad just have a really strong golf relationship. And like my five year old's obsessed with golf. I was telling you guys he recognized Brant Snedeker on the TV. Like, without it, the announcer saying anything, like, oh, there's Brant Snedeker. Um, so we go hit balls every Saturday, and it's super fun. And, and my dad plays a little bit, and when they lived in Palm Springs, we'd play a couple times a year. But uh, I think I'd make that my dream for him. All right, this is random, but if your son John had to pick his three favorite PGA Tour players to play with, who do you think he would pick? Uh, I This is actually pretty easy. I think it's Rory and Bryson. Uh and then it actually might be Corey Connors. Um, I like that. I tweeted it. As, he's actually a big Hideki guy, too. Two, I don't tweet about him often, but two of the ones that I did do was last year's U.S. Open. I was like, hey, buddy, you know, it's the U.S. Open this week. Like, all the big names are going to be there, all your favorite players. And he goes, like, Corey Connors? I was like, yeah, Corey Connors is going <laughs> to yeah. be there, too. Uh, and he's a good player, but, you know, usually you think Rory, Bryson, whatever. Um, and then uh, a couple months ago, he was taking a bath. And he renamed his rubber ducky, high ducky Matsuyama. So that was pretty clever. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. <laughs> oh, he's got to be the only rubber ducky. Definitely your son. <laughs> That's so good. Named after Hideki. Uh, what is one golf course that if you could hop on a jet, fly and go play it today, that you would go play? Whether you've played it or you haven't. I would, well, I think because I haven't, I would probably go the old course. Um, actually, or so actually Cypress Point, I think, because I went to Cal Poly, it's about two hours down the coast and that area of California, that central coast, Northern California, like that's me and my wife. It's our favorite. We honeymooned in Monterey. Um, the Cypress Point, the head pro, if, if he's listening is actually a, a Cal Poly alum. So after I left the team when they were getting a little bit better, uh, they would get the seniors out, yeah. um, on the team. So I did not get that one. Uh, I haven't called in that favor yet, but I think Cypress Point, I've played Augusta, um, it was fine. <laughs> um, but then I think it would be the old course because I haven't played the old course. That's awesome. And you know what's funny? It's every single episode we ask this question. And I'm pretty sure four out of five or whatever have said Cypress Point. Yes, Cypress Point. <laughs> Which yeah. is somewhere that Toby's played in numerous sure. times. I think it's yeah, the combination a, of the great day. It's a McKenzie, but then it's the course and the setting. Like yeah. Augusta National is an amazing course. But you can't. It's like you're throwing Augusta oh, and Pebble into the same oh, yeah. mind and if, throwing it. 
if yeah. they had a baby. Like yeah, those West Coast views it. are amazing. <laughs> yeah. When we were driving in, there's, you know, sunlight going through the trees right. onto the signage. and That's yeah, so cool. Just heavenly feeling. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Sean, thank you for coming on the Golf Life yeah. Faith podcast. That was a great time. And we're looking forward to hopefully doing it again down the road um, and maybe do it um, to where we can hear how the President's Cup ended up and see how they did. Sure. Have me back after you've run out of gas. We'll <laughs> yeah, we'll call, we'll call you again. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Sean. We'll do that. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Golf Life Faith Podcast. Whether you're a college golfer, a coach, or you just love golf, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast at collegegolffellowship.com. Also, check us out on Instagram at collegegolffellowship and on Twitter at CGFTweet. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and be on the lookout for the next episode next month. Cheers.